James chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, James chapter 2. Grand Central Station, Ponca City, Oklahoma, was this little building off Grand Avenue that, when I was growing up, was used for things like youth events and youth gatherings through the school, things like this. And, of course, it's since been bought by First Baptist Ponca City, and they, they bulldozed it. It's just a, a grassy field now. But when I was in middle school... This was the location for middle school dances. And I remember I was in sixth grade, one of the first dances I had ever been to, I think the first dance I'd ever been to, and I was riding there with my best friend at the time. We've been best friends for years. He lived around the corner from me. We went to the same elementary school. And so there we were arriving at the place, and when we got there... For the rest of the evening, I acted really weird towards him. I abandoned him. I ignored him. And the reason is, is because I wanted to hang out with the cool kids who went to the cool elementary across town. Now, ironically, he would later become friends with them and me not so much. But at the time... I knew who the in-crowd was, who I wanted to be associated with. And so I abandoned him, I ignored him, and acted really weird towards him that entire evening. And afterwards, I felt sick. Almost nauseated. I felt terrible. For a couple reasons. One, because he was a friend. He was loyal. We had a great friendship. But two, he was an unbeliever, and I was a believer, and he knew that, and I knew that. And it severed our relationship. We were never the same after that. Still eats at me today, even. Because we both knew. We didn't have to speak it. We knew by my actions that I had showed favoritism. For ridiculous reasons, for untrue reasons, for selfish reasons, I had showed favoritism. I had committed what James calls the sin of partiality. The word that he uses here in James 2 is a Greek idiom that literally means to accept a face. To accept a face over another. It quite literally means to make unjust distinctions between people by treating one person better than another, to show favoritism, to be partial towards someone. And I, my little sixth grade self, did just that. Because inwardly and perhaps subconsciously, I desired, I thought, appreciation, recognition by association. Man, if I could just impress them. If I could just get near them. If I could just show them something, then people would recognize me. Then people would want to impress me. Then people would want to come near me. 
And James says this disposition, this attitude, this showing favoritism must not be among us. Or we will sever, we will break and destroy our relationships with each other. And we will do what I did with him. We will damage our testimony to the world. If we're true believers, if we say we love God, if we say we love Jesus and we're following Jesus, then we better not show partiality. For whatever reason, whatever the context, whatever the gathering, we had better not make unjust distinctions between people by treating one person better than another. Partiality shall not be among us. Hence today's title, Showing No Favoritism. Showing no partiality, showing no favoritism. So remember, we're in this summer series walking through the book of James, and James chapter 1 really functions like an introduction to the rest of this book, and we are going to be coming back to it throughout this series. But James was the half-brother to Jesus, meaning Mary and Joseph had more children after Jesus, and one of those was James. And James was a pillar in the early church, a great leader in the early church. And he starts off this letter by saying that, in essence, he is a slave, a bondservant, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, his master and Messiah. And he's writing specifically to Jewish believers who were scattered about the world in his day, but he intends his words ultimately for all believers, and God intends his words for us today. And it is a book full of gut punches. It is full of commands, but it's also full of great wisdom. So we begin chapter 2. This is what we read, James chapter 2, verse 1, and this is what James writes. He says, my brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters, beloved, believers, In our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. So my brothers and sisters, believers in our Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. So if you're going to take the name of Christ, if you're going to say I'm a part of the family of God and I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm under the master Messiah Jesus, then you must not show favoritism. And then what James does from here is he gives this hypothetical, perhaps real-life example. And he says, listen, verse 2, suppose a man comes into your meeting, your gathering, and he's wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. Now stop right there. So here's James, and he's putting before us person one and person two. He's laying out this scene for us between person one and person two. And he says, let's suppose, in a way, person one is this really, really wealthy person. Maybe the richest person in the community of the church. Maybe the richest person in the community of the city. And person one, this wealthy person, comes to your gathering, and everyone knows this person is wealthy. 
Maybe because of their occupation. Maybe because of their position in the community. Maybe because of their education. Or maybe because of the way they dress. What kind of car they drive. How many cars they have. Where they live. What kind of trips they take. And how much money they give to the church. So let's suppose that person, person one, comes to your gathering. And then right next to him or her is person number two. And everyone also knows this person to be unwealthy because of their occupation or lack thereof. Because of their education, because of the way they dress, because of what kind of car they drive, or where they live, or what kind of trips they take, or how much money they give. Everyone knows person number two is unwealthy and, according to the world, insignificant. So you have person one and person two right there before you. This is the scenario James paints for us. Let's suppose both of them come to your gathering, person one, person two, and James then goes on to say, if you show special attention to person number one, the man wearing fine clothes, and you tell that person, hey, here's a good seat for you, VIP, front row seats. But you say to the poor man, uh, you stand back there. You stand over there. Maybe you just sit on the floor by my feet. He says, listen, if you do that, have you not discriminated among yourselves? Is there not now discrimination among yourselves? Have you not now become judges with evil thoughts? Unrighteous judges? In other words, if you do this, are you not now making unjust distinctions between people and thereby treating one person better than another? Are you not selfishly doing this because inwardly and perhaps subconsciously you desire or think recognition, appreciation by association? Maybe they'll look at me now because I'm sitting next to so-and-so. Maybe they'll look at our church now because so-and-so goes to this church. Maybe they'll look at our denomination because this name is, belongs to it. He says, listen, verse 5. My dear brothers and sisters, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? Notice the external evaluation by the world, but the internal evaluation by God. See, the world sees on the outside, God sees on the inside. To be rich in faith and for them to inherit the kingdom, he promised to those who love him. Again, internal there. Verse 6. But you have dishonored the poor. Listen, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him, Jesus, to whom we belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, 
you sin. And you're convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery, he also said you shall not commit murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, then you have become a lawbreaker. Meaning what James is saying is if you show partiality, if you show favoritism, in a way what you're doing is you're exposing ultimately your hatred towards a fellow brother or sister. As Jesus would call it, murder in your heart. John would take it a step further in 1 John 4.20. If we say we love God, but we hate our brother or sister in his context by how we treat them, then we are liars. Meaning then we don't have the Spirit of God in us. We don't actually love God. To show favoritism, James is saying, is to sin and to expose the true disposition of our hearts where our faith really is, where our love really is. So he says, listen, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. In other words, speak and act as what you really are, brothers and sisters in Christ under the lordship of Christ. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. At one point, a group of people, they approached Jesus and they said, listen, teacher, we know that you're true and we know that you teach the way of God truthfully. But we also know that you do not care about anyone's opinion. You're not a people pleaser. For you are not swayed by appearances. Jesus was not a people pleaser and he did, was not swayed by appearances. Literally, Jesus did not judge or justify someone by looking only at the external. Now, as we'll see in the book of James, the external is important. But Jesus didn't stop at the external when it came to justification. He looked beyond the curtain of the external and narrowed in on the internal. He judges us. He justifies a person by looking at the internal heart, the internal faith of that person. So Jeremiah 20 says, the Lord sees the mind and the heart. Matthew 12, we see that Jesus knows their thoughts. Matthew 22, Jesus perceived their malice internally. Mark 2, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves. Luke 6, he knew what they were thinking. Luke 11, he knew their thoughts. Luke 16, he said to them, you're those who justify yourselves in the sight of men or the world, but God knows your hearts. John 2, he himself knew what was in man. Acts 15, God knows the heart. 1 Samuel 16, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Jeremiah 17, I the Lord search 
the heart. James chapter 2, the world sees a poor man. They, all they can see is, well, he's uneducated, or he's unsuccessful, or he's without influence, or he's whatever. But God sees a rich person in faith, in love. He sees a beloved son or daughter. It's clear that throughout Scripture, the Lord justifies not by the external, but by the internal. But it's also clear throughout Scripture and the history of humanity that humanity does the opposite. We judge the external as the only metric for evaluating, judging, discerning the internal. We look at things like, well, where did you go to school? What denomination are you from? Well, who did you vote for? Well, what's your church attendance? Well, what's your position in the church? Well, how much do you tithe? And so on. But the Lord uses the internal as the metric for evaluating the external. In other words, the Lord evaluates the intent of the heart, the posture of the heart, the disposition of the heart, and he justifies people on the internal, not the external. Again, not to say that the external isn't important. If we say we love God and love people, it had better be true externally in our actions and in appearance. We'll come back to that. But the Lord looks to the inside of the cup to judge whether or not that cup is in right standing before him. I'll give you an example. It's Luke 18. And Jesus puts before us person one and person two, just like James does here in James 2. A scenario. Person one is a Pharisee. Person two, a tax collector. Person one comes to the temple and comes close to pray, draws near. Person two also has come to pray, but he is far away. Person one is calm and composed and collected and well presented. Person two is a blubbering mess. But here you have person one and person two, two contrasting external appearances. But you also have two contrasting internal appearances. Which one went home justified before God? It wasn't the Pharisee, it wasn't the pastor. It wasn't the priest. It wasn't the Sunday school teacher. It wasn't the deacon. It wasn't the elder. It was the blubbering mess tax collector. Not the Pharisee who externally looked the part. It was that lowly sinner who externally looked anything but the part. Yet internally, he was rich in faith. That's what God looks at. Why he went home justified before God, not men, but before God, was because of his faith, his heart, his internal. Now, why did Jesus tell that story? Well, Luke tells us, Luke 18, 9. He told this story to those who were justifying themselves according to the external metrics only. And thus, as a result, they were looking down on others. Meaning, using those external metrics, these were the ones who were showing favoritism to those who looked like and spoke like and acted like 
the Pharisee. And Jesus says, that's fine if you do that, but before God, you're not justified. Because God doesn't look at what man looks at. He looks upon the heart. So humanity, the flesh, the sinful nature, has a bad record of justifying others and ourselves by the external. Hence the old saying, don't judge a book by its cover, has become so popular. God looks through the curtain of the external and evaluates and examines and justifies a person based on his or her internal, internal faith, disposition, belief, love for him. They're the ones with the inheritance who are blessed, who go home justified. And what James is reminding us here is as Jesus' followers... Slaves and servants to God, called to imitate God in all things. What James is saying is Jesus has called us to do the same. Listen to what Jesus said, John 7, 24. He said, stop judging by mere appearances. Make a right judgment. Look beyond the eternal or the external. See the internal. I came across a fictional story a while back. It was a story based off the widow's offering in Mark 12. And the story is about this wealthy man who put out an advertisement about this silent auction that he was going to have. And in the ad, this wealthy man said, whoever bids the most... Whoever bids the most, whoever gives the most, will inherit this famous, classic, unique, one-of-a-kind, beautiful painting. While at the auction, people gathered and, and bids were written down and submitted. And there was one guy at the silent auction who was worth $50 million. And everyone knew this. You could Google his net worth. Everybody knew this. Worth $50 million. And he bid $100,000 for this painting. There was also another woman there who almost had no business being there. Nobody knew her. She came not from means, and she bid 25 bucks. Man worth $50 million Bids 100,000. Here's this woman, almost worth nothing, bids 25 bucks. After all the bids came in, this wealthy owner gathered all the bids up and he revealed all the numbers 20,000, 3,500, and 100,000. The highest bid. And everybody said, oh man, wow. He even in that revealing, revealed the $25 bid. And people kind of laughed and snickered. Come on, 25 bucks. Well, after all the bids were revealed and the $100,000 was the highest bid, everyone began to praise the man worth $50 million because they knew, again, who it was. And they knew he was the highest bid. They knew now this painting belonged to him. So they're praising him. Hey, congratulations. That's a great buy. It's going to be awesome in your place and so on and so forth. And the $25 and the woman went completely unnoticed. So the owner then comes up. 
And he announces the person who has inherited this painting is the woman who bid 25 bucks. Of course, the crowd is outraged. Like, what are you talking about? 25 bucks, you made a mistake. First of all, there was other bids higher, but this guy gave $100,000. He bid that. Well, then the wealthy man who was leading all this, he said, listen, I remind you that in order to submit a bid, you had to also prove your net worth, financially speaking. Yes, the man who bid $100,000, he has a $50 million net worth. You want to know how much $100,000 is? That's 0.2% of his net worth. Not even 1%. This woman literally worth $25 to her name. She gave 100%. The inheritance belongs to her. That's what James is saying. That's what God is saying all throughout his scriptures. And James is reminding us what Jesus revealed and commanded, that we must stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. It is those who are internally rich in faith and love. They are the ones who are justified. They are the ones, as James would say, who receive the inheritance. So he's telling us we have to quit making unjust distinctions between people and thereby treating one person better than another. With mercy and humility and love through the eyes of Jesus, we have to look through the curtain of the external and see the internal. Listen, Jesus was clear. If we want to be his followers, if we want to take his name, then he's calling us to recognize the forgiveness and freedom and grace and mercy extended to us, undeserving, lowly sinners, given to us, not because of us, but because of him, and in him, and by him. He's calling us to recognize his love for us, and then for us to go and do likewise. And you and I, we cannot love our neighbors as ourselves. We can't love just as Jesus loved us if we're showing partiality, if we're showing favoritism. If we're making those unjust distinctions between people based solely on external metrics and thereby treating one person better than another, James is telling us, listen, remember, you are brothers and sisters, all of you, believers in our Lord Jesus Christ under one Lord. You don't come into this gathering as pastor. You don't come into this gathering as deacon or a Sunday school teacher or as rich or educated or poor or uneducated, as young or old, male or female. You come into this gathering in Christ, by Christ, and for Christ. In and of yourselves. We are nothing. We, are, we have nothing. We can do nothing without Christ. We're nobody. But with Christ and in Christ, We have everything. We can do anything. We are somebody. And that's true of all of us. We're merely brothers and sisters in one family under one Lord, all of us. As Paul told those in Corinth a long time ago, he said, listen, each one of you keeps saying, well, I follow Paul. Well, I follow Apollos. Or I follow Cephas, who's Peter. Or I follow Christ. Paul said, listen, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? The the answer he's saying here is 
absolutely not. We're all one in Christ. We all gather in the name of Christ under the lordship of Christ. And James says, listen, this disposition, this attitude, this showing favoritism must not be among us. Or what we'll end up doing is severing and breaking and destroying our relationships with each other. And we will greatly damage our testimony to the world. If we're true believers, we say we love God, we love Jesus, and we're following Jesus, then we had better not show favoritism. For whatever reason, whatever the context. So James, in essence, leaves us with a course of action with two options. Option one, option two. Live by the royal law, the great law that Jesus would expound on, loving as he loved us, showing mercy as he showed us, so proving to be followers and servants of Jesus. Or you can live by the sin of partiality, so proving to be one who is deceived. It's your decision. You say, well, how will I know? Well, your decision will be revealed in your response to person one and person two standing right before you. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to invite the team forward for a time of response. And for some of us, if we're being honest, maybe it's been subconscious or maybe even consciously. We've been showing favoritism. Showing partiality. James calls it a sin. Puts it on the same level almost as murder, hatred in the heart towards a fellow brother or sister. So for some of us, it's this time of invitation is just a time of repentance from the sin of partiality. Maybe it's a call to step forward to reconciliation with a brother or sister. Maybe it's a call to change our attitude and disposition, perspective. But for all of us, no doubt, he's calling us to live a life in which we are living by the royal law. Loving each other just as he has loved us. To look through the eyes of Christ at every brother or sister among us. To see ourselves as sinners saved by grace, recipients of his mercy, called to go and live just as he lived towards us. For some of us in this room, man, we've been living outside of Christ. You've got to recognize, man, if you're not in Christ, you're outside of the ark, if you will, and the wrath of God stands upon you. Repent and enter into the ark of Christ. Turn from your sin and believe. The promise is those who do will receive the Holy Spirit of God. They will be marked and sealed by God himself. An adopted son or daughter, no longer a sinner. For some of you, you've made that decision, but you've never followed through in baptism. And the Lord is leading you, calling you, commanding you to make that decision public through baptism. 
For others of you, you just want to pray for something or someone. These steps are open. Even as I pray, you can come. Father, we thank you. We love you. We thank you that that we are saved by faith because of and through your grace, your mercy. You gave us your only begotten son, Jesus. It's because of who he is, because of his work that we even gather in, in the name of Christ here in this place. That we can even approach you because of him. Lord, help us to love just as Jesus loved us, as you have loved us. Stir our hearts and minds, bring us to a point of obedience. In Christ's name I pray. I'm going to ask that you stand with us during this time of invitation. I'm down here. Whatever the Spirit's leading you to do, be obedient to that.